Okay, you're listening to another episode of the Tasty Spreads podcast. I'm your host, Dino Cespedes, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Grant Engel. What is up, man? You know, I'm just trying to live out here like a first-round draft pick in a very shiny suit in 2023, <laughs> just living my best life. Did you get that Drake follow, though? I haven't yet. Fishing for it, man. I, I want him to, you know, want to be my friend because right? that's that's the sign that you've truly made it as an NBA player. Absolutely. I mean, he looks like a guy that's Googled Tasty Spreads once or twice. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Awesome. Before we kick things off, I want to get into a couple of corrections from last week. That's okay. Uh, being factually accurate is important to us as podcasting journalists. Absolutely. Hashtag journalism. Mm -hmm. So last week I talked about the first Heat game I ever attended. I actually went back and looked it up. I was able to find it. <laughs> January 15th, 1989. Yes. Okay. Season one, we had a 9-24 and 24 Indiana Pacers team stroll into town to face a 3-31 Miami Heat team. 25 points and three triples from the pride of Sioux Falls, John Sonny Sunvold. Um which I mean for 1989, today that would be like 80 points and 18 or 19 three-pointers. Exactly. Um, last week I mentioned that the team was coached by Kevin Lockery. That was a mistake. That team, obviously, inaugural season was coached by the legend, Ron Rostein. So my apologies, coach. Um, I knew you were the coach. I just got my names mixed up because I'm old and it's late at night. Um, and if the name Ron Rostein doesn't ring a bell, if you've caught the Heat Studio show, <laughs> um, he's the brains behind Ron's Rewind where he'll just sort of like kind of run the telestrator and be like, all right, we're going to watch Duncan Robinson here. Stop. Yes. And we're gonna, <laughs> he's going to see you. Now cutting down the baseline, we got Max. Stop. <laughs> so that is our guy, the legend, Coach Ron Rothstein. My apologies. Correction number two. Um, our old Jackie Grealish to score and City to win the FA Cup parlay. So I brought this one up last week too. Um and I think you were you were pretty gracious about the mix-up, um, which, you know, obviously was not a surprise to me because, you know, I say, Grant, that guy's a guy of high character. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I went back and checked the tapes. I actually got a chance to find out what I actually said. And I quote, this one's unbelievable. Dude, I'm literally salivating over this Grealish line just because, let's rewind a little bit. He's gotten some rest last couple of weeks, so I think Grealish is going to be really hungry. I'm just going to jump in on the action. I am 100% with you. <laughs> End quote. So as you can see, still pretty murky. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to say Ty goes to the runner. We're going to leave it on the dog call of the day. You know, and speaking of graciousness, um, I think you're being pretty gracious there too. So hard to say, but I think maybe uh, I'm comfortable with your decision on this one. I'm not here to, you know, nickel and dime. Old Jackie boy, I wish he, uh, I wish he didn't let us down on that one. But you know what? He's still on top of the world. Um, did you happen to hear in the uh, Euro qualifiers, Grealish is is warming up? Um, I think it was. I want to say it was against North Macedonia. They're playing at Old Trafford, and he's running up and down the sideline. And the English fans, I won't sing it because I'll spare you my singing voice. But the English fans are basically they're chanting Jack Grealish. He's still on the piss. Jackie Grealish, he's still on the piss or something very, very close to that. And he like smiles and waves at him. 
<laughs> because, you know, our, our man was out there celebrating. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've come totally full circle on him. You know, when he was at Villa, it's just kind of like, oh, this guy, you know, you, but you, it's a total misjudgment of what kind of player he is and probably what kind of dude he is because he was probably super chill. 100%. It seems like everybody likes the guy. And uh, even when he struggled that first season, it felt like everybody was like, you know, you know, patting him on the shoulder, like, keep your head up, dude, all this stuff. And he said something really interesting that I regretted not saying in the in the Champions League recap episode. Obviously, the, the studio analysts were asking him about, like, you had a challenging first season, and now you came and did this. You know, it, it seemed like you were just kind of, you know, running down the field and trying to draw fouls um, in your first season. And he just kind of very plainly said, he was like, well, yeah, that's what my manager wanted me to do. That's why he brought me in. And I thought it kind of blew my mind because I was like, it was so crazy ineffective last year. Uh, but it's just that it's just the timing was like slightly off and he was just picking the wrong spots. It feels like last year. Yeah. Um, and now this, this season, the way he was applying pressures felt totally different. And you know, it, the difference was night and day. Yeah. I think it's playing within an offense. Yep. He more was the offense at Villa and was just trying to kind of keep that same style going. It must be so weird. You know, you go, you move up the levels and you're just, a lot of times you're the best, you know, until you get to the very top. And then you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually the second best at my position. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, that, that wasn't quite really situation, but at city, you know, he definitely is not the offense. He's, he's such a key part. And like, it just speaks to Pep's genius again. Uh, but I'm going to fast forward past this because like, this is another rabbit hole for us. Uh, yes, the old Pep course. City circle jerk. <laughs> we love Pep. Moral of the story, we can keep it moving. Love Pep. Love Phil, our diamond. Uh, <laughs> Damn right. Let's hop back to the basketball, the old hardwood. Big week. The draft's behind us. The first the first wave of moves also behind us. Where do you want to start? I mean, we got we have to start because you had you had even mentioned it in the last episode when we talked about possibilities for your Miami Heat, and the first thing I thought, which is maybe a weird thing to think when when the Bradley Beal, and I guess we'll call it a Bradley Beal Chris Paul trade. I mean, it felt like Chris Paul, one of the greatest players who've ever lived, one of the five greatest point guards of all time, um, where it felt like he's a, an ancillary piece almost. Um, but one of the first things I thought was, I bet Dino feels a certain way about Bradley Beal not going to the Miami Heat. So I just have to ask, what were what were you thinking when you saw that it, Beal's going to the Suns and not the 305? Well, I'll start from the Heat perspective. I was pretty pumped <laughs> when we dodged the Beal bullet. You know, and we've talked about it. I think I, I, I called out Beal and maybe Cat also last week about guys that just kind of were not going to fit in like heat culture. Yep. Um, so I think that that's one piece. But I think when you look at it from a basketball perspective, we saw the heat in the finals hit their ceiling with Jimmy as the number one and Bam as the number two. So just thinking about it from that standpoint, the heat need a true number one, right? So Bradley Beal, you know, he's a fine offensive player, but you know, in crunch time, he's not going to have the ball over Jimmy Butler. It's just not going to happen. What Miami needs is, one of like those dudes to kind of like get them over the hump, leapfrog Jimmy and Bam and relieve, you know, some of the offensive pressure. 
um, and then also be able to keep up defensively. So Beal is not really at that level offensively, and I don't think can keep up defensively. So I I, I was not upset in the slightest that we, we missed out on old uh, on old Bradley Beal. I went through the mental exercise of going through who those guys could be that could meet that criteria that also might be attainable, you know, because like you've got guys like Giannis, Jokic, and those guys aren't going anywhere. And I got a list of six. So I went Dame, Zion, Ja. I, I'm not sure I can see him leaving Memphis, but I think I would take him and I think he would fit that criteria. Kawhi, although his health would be a question mark. Same thing with AD. And then the last one I think would be Embiid. I think it's going to be one of those six guys or somebody at that level, which there's only a handful more maybe, or I think it's going to be nobody. Now, the rumor about Paul George, if Paul George is available, would it be a mistake being like, oh, okay, there's the star. And then you kind of empty the chamber to get him and you end up with the the Beal problem that you talked about where he he wouldn't be the crunch time number one. Is is that kind of where you land on old PG-13? I think PG would probably qualify as the number one in that scenario if he's playing um yeah. that's really the the number one issue with him his skill is definitely there he had that one season where he was a legit mvp candidate yeah um and he's had some good showings in the playoffs um that would lead you to believe that you know he can hit that level i think he could hit that level for sure uh, and defensively you know it, it's not that you have to be you know an all nba all defense you know first seamer you know, to kind of play for the heat, but you have to be able to lock in and you have to not make dumbass mistakes. Uh, and PG, I think is, is great in both of those departments. You know, he's really smart. Um, and when he really wants to lock in, he's awesome. And I think if he were to go to Miami, I could see them giving him like a shorter deal, big money, and then giving that a shot. That makes sense. And so, okay. So, but of the, of the six that you mentioned, of the six possible gettables, you mentioned Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. We wonder if the, if the Sixers are on a, a fast track to of pissing off Joel Embiid eventually and him just being like, get me out of here, man. You guys never put the right talent around me. Um, I think he is with a bullet, the, the guy. I mean, you know, he's obviously MVP of the league this year. Um, and, you know, you you have made several references to Jimmy Butler batting his eyes at Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid telling anybody who will listen at any time how much he loved playing with Jimmy Butler. Um, I think that would be, obviously, the best of the bunch. Uh, then you mentioned Dame. Like, if, if we were ranking him, obviously, to me, Embiid would be one. Dame would be two. Just a natural culture fit. I think that goes pretty much without saying. He is... Toward the end of his prime, but still pretty much in his prime in his ability to make big shots. I mean, he has two playoff series ending three point <laughs> three point shots. Um, pretty clutch. Yeah. I think we could say he would be an absolute home run. And he's six two, he's undersized, you know, his defense is a little maligned. I think because every everything else is a ninety nine on the slider, I think that, you know, he could you could live with his lack of defensive ability. It's not like he's not going to compete out there. And if anybody's going to figure out a way to kind of hide that, it would be Spo. Because Embiid and Dame are so awesome, and because Zion has some injury risk, I'm I'm old, that's the only reason I think I'm putting Zion behind those two. Because I am I I want to be the Zion guy on the podcast. I know you like Zion too, but. I just cannot get over how much of an absolute fucking beast this guy is when he plays. Yeah. This 
the stats have been circulating lately because I feel like when people are talking about him and they're talking about kind of the weirdness that's surrounding him at the moment, um, some people felt the need to remind folks, and I think it's a, a useful reminder, that when this dude played consistently in the 2021 season, he averaged 27 points per game on 60% shooting. He's he's the only player to ever do that. And I was looking, and I was like, well, who's who has come close? Um, and through my, my cursory internet research, so this is by no means an exhaustive list, but I did see that uh, Kevin McHale in 86 um, averaged 26 points uh, per game on 60% shooting. Wow. And, you know, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame player and was an absolute monster in the post himself. Uh, you know, like invented several post moves. And I want to say it was the, the third guy I found uh, was a, a somewhat well-known player named Charles Barkley in 1989 for the Philadelphia 76ers who averaged 25 points per game on 60% shooting. So you got Zion and then a couple of Hall of Famers um, who were able to do that. And I mean, the guy is just a devastating inside post player who would who I mean you know if he gets into the Miami program you might worry about some of the temptations down in Miami but if he buys into the program I mean you might be looking at a dynasty the thing about Zion that's been wild is those stats when you compare it to the eye test the eye test is even wilder that's great to that's actually great. see him do it like it's just out of this fucking world like he's just like one dribble, spin all the way, just like a windmill, like, you know, just like in the middle of the half court offense. And it's just, you've never seen it. And it's a great point about the eye test because it's captured by his statistics. But I was, uh, I can't remember which announcer first pointed it out, but I will, I will never not see it is his ability on the second jump. Mm-hmm. As soon as he lands, his ability to lift his gigantic body back up into the air with, with great speed is just insane, and nobody has a shot in there against him. I hope he gets right, and we get we get Zion back, get to watch him play out a whole career. Um, I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with your top three. I, I don't know that I'd have him beat up there. Really? The more I've been thinking about it, and the more that I've gotten some distance from the season, I think Joel Embiid is Patrick Ewing. That's spicy. I think we're going to see his career take almost the same path. You know, like he might get to a finals like later in his career and it might just be the one and never it's just and it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to kind of happen for that guy i'm not saying that he can't win the whole thing uh, and it'd be interesting to see him in miami but i think you just kind of wonder what the culture in philly the whole process the whole you know the the scars from that um if it's kind of too much to maybe overcome dame on the other hand i think if he got dame they would have to at least be co-favorites for the title I think so. Especially if they don't give up. They would have to give up Hero. And it's just funny to see the negotiations happening in the press where the Heat are like, we're not going to give up Hero. And then Portland's like, we want Bam. It's like, okay. You know, I think we're going to all settle on Hero and move on with it. Still no real word um, out of Portland. I think they just keep cycling through trying to see what the offers are. Um, And then both of them making an announcement that Portland loves having Dame and Dame loves being in Portland. Feels like a battle of I'm not going to be the one who looks bad right. in in this. It's like yeah, well, we love you too, um, but you know, are we a move away? We don't know. 
and everybody's just kind of looking at each other. Um, <laughs> you moves away for sure. I would think so. Something tells me, you know, um, Jeremy Grant, uh, Shaden Sharp, Scoot, and Dame. Um, we we kind of got we have some disparate timelines there. It, not, it doesn't really quite match up with each other. Yeah, I would say so. Um, let's fast forward a little bit to yep. Porzingis to the Celtics. This this trade happened, right? As far as I know, it is a thing that has happened. And on ESPN's website, uh, our pal Marcus Smart is now a part of uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm, I'm still going to say his name with a Boston accent when I can, though. Love it. Yeah. What do you? What are your thoughts on the move? I really bought in to Porzingis when he was drafted. I mean, I, like mm. that was right as I was like um, fully, fully adopting the Knicks. <laughs> like I had lived in New York for a while. I had been watching the team. I had been suffering through some of their games, just like lovingly though, like getting a kick out of out of the way things were happening. And then they get this dude, and I've had a weird roller coaster with Porzingis where it's just like, oh, man, he's awfully skinny, and he's super-duper tall, and I am fearful of guys like that getting hurt. But that first season, I can't I can't remember who it was against, but there was just one play where he just had a sick block down at one end, and then he runs the floor, and he, and he finishes it with just a nasty dunk over somebody. And I was like, oh, my God, I think this dude might be actually amazing. And then, you know, later in the game, he's drilling three-pointers. And I'm just like, holy shit, like the garden's going insane. And I was like, this guy might be a, a real franchise player. I hope people know how crappy Phil Jackson was in managing the Knicks and how crappy he was uh, dealing with Porzingis toward the end of uh, his time there uh, where Phil, Phil Jackson is like making these smart ass comments like, yeah, you know, Chris Tapps, uh, he's obviously been in the gym. He makes sure everybody sees it on Instagram. Mm. It's just like, why, why do you have to antagonize like a guy you want who should be, you should want to be your franchise player. I just never understood it. By the end, it, the whole thing was was gross, and Porzingis didn't want to be there, and it seemed like Phil Jackson was like indifferent to him being there. And also, if you just look at Phil Jackson's entire tenure in leadership with the New York Knicks, he I think indifferent might be the big word in the word cloud. And then he goes to Dallas for almost nothing. It doesn't go well in Dallas. He has like his little renaissance with the Wizards, and now he's on the Celtics, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel super moved by it. I'm sorry if that was a long-winded way to get to it. I kind of looked at the at the trade as a whole. I still don't think the Wizards are getting anything in any of these trades. I don't think they, like, not even a lot of good picks. Like, when I saw that the Celtics were the team who were getting the two first-round picks in this trade, I'm just like, what? so what is on, why Why are the Wizards unloading this stuff? If, if the name of the game is supposed to be asset collection and, you know, getting expiring contracts, why aren't you getting the assets? So I think the only side I feel good about this for, and this is probably no surprise to you because I've mentioned it, but me being a Marcus Smart guy, um, mm. I think I feel good about it for the for the Grizzlies, and I'm not really moved on the other two teams. And I'm, and I'm wondering if maybe I'm I'm overlooking something here. No, I think I think I agree with you. We talked about the Chris Paul fit in Memphis potentially, and like kind of like had a laugh about that. You know, it's like yes. would they listen to this dude? I think Marcus Smart brings a different kind of voice um, just because it doesn't seem like it's 
coming from up high. Yeah. But I think Marcus Smart's like, no, nah, I'm here. Like, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of like grinding at the same level. It's, it just seems like such a perfect fit. You know, his basketball DNA, what that team needs, you know, just kind of extra ball handling. Like, Jaw's going to miss a bunch of time. You know, you plug Marcus Smart in there and it's like, not only is it a good replacement, but it's a whole different look. I definitely love the pick for the Grizzlies. Um, I think we we should probably be looking at them um, in the over-unders coming up here soon just because, I don't know, I, I think there might be a lot of enthusiasm to kind of like look at their under, especially with with the jaw vibes. Um, there could be some value there. I'm 100% with you. Um, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting the over-unders to come out. Um, I will also say, I mean, I did take a look, and I don't know if maybe I'm just a, a jaw optimist or just a Grizzlies optimist in general. Uh, Grizzlies plus 1,300 to win the West. Hmm. Behind, obviously, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks. Oh Jesus! And then the and then the Grizzlies. You you cannot convince me that the Clippers and Mavericks have a better chance to win the West than the Memphis Grizzlies. That's insane. That's definitely insane. Okay, so what was the Grizzlies number? Plus thirteen hundred. Yeah, and the Clippers and Mavericks are both plus eleven hundred. Thirteen hundred. I'm gonna put that on the talk. <laughs> I think it's. A, I mean, I like it, man. I think it's a good idea. Are you putting it on the dock as a watch, or are we putting it on the dock because we're locking it in? I mean, well, first of all, eight teams make the playoffs, right? So right there, you've got a one in eight shot if you think the Grizz are going <laughs> to make the playoffs because That's... you know the the West wasn't so much a crapshoot. Denver one seed kind of cruised all the way through, but the East was kind of a total bloodbath. It just feels like plus thirteen hundred is going to be live until. I don't know, at least the second round of the playoffs, um, just because like you expect Memphis to kind of like get things hopefully on track. And I think Marcus Smart is going to be a big help. I love it. I'm, well, I'm obviously, I'm riding with you, obviously. Um, Let's go. Let's go. I, mean, I, think, I think it's super live. And yeah, I mean, Brandon Clark and Steven Adams were hurt at the end of last year. That's right. It fits the narrative arc that we see with teams that they kind of, they're young, they're brash. They get humbled. They keep, you know, they they keep, they come back a couple times. It takes a couple. It takes a couple bites. I mean, even you could even, obviously, they don't have a player. You know, John Morant is not Nikola Jokic, but you have a superlative star. You know, you just have to like kind of take your lumps, and just kind of figure some stuff out. Um, I can't remember who tweeted it. It might have been Rosillo, or somebody was quoting him, or something. Um, but the, the quote was something to the effect of, yes, Marcus Smart, he's like Dylan Brooks, but better in every way. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think that's about right. Absolutely. I'm with that take 100%. Um, the other thing, the last thing about Memphis, if they don't make it happen, you know, with this core, I think you really have to kind of like think a little bit bigger about retooling. Just because, you know, they had the young breakthrough season last year. You know, they they talk all the shit this year. They get just embarrassed, you know, first round, and they're out. Um, barely even put up a fight. I don't know what more you need, you know, kind of like motivation-wise. Plus, all of those guys, Bain, Ja, now Smart, Steven Adams, you know, um, Jaron Jackson, 
all those guys are hitting the age where it's like you better be like ready to do some shit. So if you're the Grizzlies and you want to kind of keep this thing together, like this is a very important season for you. So um feeling better and better about this bet. I love it. Nice. All right. Putting on the board plus 1300 Grizz to win the West. Thank you, my good man, for bringing it up. Oh, man. Sincere apologies, podcast audience. It looks like the last uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so of last night's pod may have been lost to internet history. So I'm not going to recreate all of our, our uh, fire takes from last night. Um, just going to maybe run through some of uh, the highlights. Basically, we kind of broke down questionable behavior from uh, Suns owner Matt Ishbian with maybe a little bit of a glance over at the under, um, just because we're not sure about you know the very quote-unquote big three that they've put together there in Phoenix. And with Ishbi at the top, uh, just not really sure what to expect. We looked at some NFL futures. Only one pick was made. Um, Grant ended up taking the under for Aaron Rodgers passing yards, 3,950 and a half. Uh, and then we also took a look at some of the MVP odds, odds for the fewest wins, and some potential Super Bowl winners. Looking ahead to next week, I think we might hit the button on some of these NFL futures. And I think we're going to kick off our NWSL deep dive. So look out for some tasty stats and some tasty bets. All right. See y'all next week.